0: Be it joy and laughter, sorrow and tears, awe and insight, or deepest devotion, as we visit and listen, we are all part of a spiritual voyage called Song of the Soul. Thanks so much for joining us today for Song of the Soul. We've got a great guest here today. But first, I want to remind you to go to NorthernSpiritRadio.org and fill out our listener survey as we try to understand who's listening to us on the 33 some radio stations across the USA or directly via the internet and how you came to know us. There's a reward for filling out the survey, and that is that you'll be entered in a drawing for your choice of $25 or a collection of Northern Spirit Radio goodies like a t-shirt and tote bag. We hope these programs enrich your life, and you help enrich ours when you let us know that you're there. But on to our Song of the Soul guest, Christopher Tin. I want to start out this program by thanking Andrew Jansen, not only for production help on today's show, but for guiding me to connect with Christopher. Christopher's music reverberates in my heart because of the way it spans the world, just as I do with my passion for international folk dance, and by bringing so many rich voices together in his chorale creations. Though Christopher Tin's first access to commercial success was through the work he did on video game music, like with the Civilization IV theme song and with film scores, his CDs, bringing together singers and songs from all over the world, are especially precious and moving. His music has been performed all over the world and at renowned sites like Carnegie Hall. He's an honorary artistic advisor for the United Nations Chamber Music Society and much, much more. Prepare yourself for transcendence and beauty as Christopher Tin joins us via Skype from Los Angeles, California. Christopher, I'm so happy to have you here today for Song of the Soul. Well, I'm very
1: pleased to be here, Mark.
0: I don't know if you have any idea how long in the making this interview has been, and it's totally my fault because my assistant, Andrew Jansen, who helps produce these shows, brought you to my attention a couple years ago, and I just this past month got around to following up on the recommendation, and I am so glad that I did. Your first CD, Calling All Dons, is dated 2009, But I suspect that you've been making awesome music much longer than that. When did you start out musically?
1: Professionally, I guess I've been making music since about 2003. When I moved to Los Angeles, having just finished a a master's degree in film scoring at the Royal College of Music in London, I moved to L.A. where one moves if you want to write music for film or other media. I've been doing it since then, mostly between 2003 and 2009. I was focused exclusively on scoring films, video games, commercials, anything really. But then around 2009, I released my first album, which sort of launched a whole other dimension of my music making, which was as an artist slash concert composer since then, that's really sort of taken over my identity. Like nowadays, I sort of think of myself more as a recording artist who scores films and games on the side than vice versa.
0: Does one go into composing music to get the girls? I mean, you know, there's some people like get in a rock band or whatever, because they know that that's going to make women go crazy for them.
1: Well, I mean, I guess on a Freudian, Jungian level, yes. I mean, we're all sort of driven by this desire to do the thing that that I don't, I guess, you know appeals to the opposite sex, right? But that's not necessarily why I got into music. I got into music because I just happened to have a good mind for it. And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the social aspects of music making with my friends. When it boiled down to it, what I excelled at specifically in music was music theory and composition and arranging and composing. And I had more gifts in that arena than as a performer. And so I chose to make that my focus. But being a musician being a composer does give you a a meaning a social place in life an identity that i think is very useful to sort of hone one's sense of self especially when you're you're growing up and you maybe live in a community like i i grew up in Palo Alto California which is very tech and science dominated being the artsy one is kind of empowering
0: the mind that you have for music i wonder if it's comparable to a mathematical mind as well i i was a math major as well as you know, speech communications other things is that the same lobe of the brain or the same side of the brain that's being developed
1: well yeah i think so i mean i think there's a lot of correlations between math and and music and i tend to think of my own music very structurally and music is very There are absolutes in music that are very, very comforting in the same way that there are absolutes, many absolutes in math. You know, I think a lot of people who are good mathematicians are also good musicians and vice versa.
0: And back when you were a performer, Christopher, what were you performing? How were you performing?
1: I think I was most engaged as a conductor in college is when I started conducting first with uh, singing groups and choirs and then with musical theater and light opera I really enjoyed that aspect of music making. I was a pianist at one point. I also played guitar and I played in jazz combos and I did a number of different things, but none of them really jumped out at me the same way that conducting and composing do. And I think it's because I enjoy presiding over the bigger picture of music rather than fixating on what I and my instrument are doing. I sort of like taking the bird's eye view, hearing all the sound around me, adjusting it the way I see fit. And getting to the mu- know the music on more of a, a structural, complete level than just boring down onto what I am playing as a pianist. So that process of studying music as a conductor and as a composer, that appealed to me more than anything
0: else. What kind of choirs were you first conducting or leading?
1: Probably the most, I guess, influential part of my upcoming as a conductor was I was the music director of this singing group at Stanford University called Talisman Acapella, and they sang a lot of African and African American gospel music. I really, really enjoyed that, and I enjoyed working with the singers and coming up with the arrangements and producing the album. I mean, that was a very sort of
0: major part of my early development. But that's probably not the first choir or group that you led
1: no, I think that may have been my first regular group, honestly. I mean, you know, when you're in high school, it's not like you have the means to assemble a choir to sing your words. I mean, you can if you're very intrepid and, and you know, your school has those resources. But it was only once I got to college that I was really able to sort of spread my wings and explore musically.
0: I imagine you're at least significantly of Asian descent from the pictures I've seen of you, and yet it sounds like African music was your starting choral experience. Is that an obvious bridge, or is that just maybe the environment in Palo Alto? I don't know.
1: Well, I wasn't actually the first exposure I had to choral music. I did sing in a high school chamber choir, and we performed your usual choral repertoire I enjoyed African choral music because it was it 's very lively and it 's engaging and you 're singing in uh, languages that are outside of your usual sort of european romance language driven choral music. I think I was just interested in a, a richer form of singing, i guess not richer is not the right word like a, a, a different style of singing that you got with a gospel choir than a classical choir. That love of different styles of singing has sort of stayed with me throughout the years. And if you hear my albums, you'll hear that love because a lot of different types of vocalists are represented on my albums and a lot of different singing traditions as
0: well. Well, let's prove that by playing some of your music. How do you want to start your Song of the Soul?
1: Why don't we start with probably my best-known piece, which is a song called Baba Yetu which is Swahili for Our Father, and as you might guess from the song title, it is a setting of the Lord's Prayer in Swahili. Now, this song was originally written as the theme song for a very popular video game called Civilization Four. It was never meant to be a standalone piece of music, but after the game came out, the song sort of took off as a hit, and it has been performed everywhere since then, everywhere from Carnegie Hall to the United Nations. You'll even be seeing it, well, I can't really say, but there's some very prominent uh, performances that will be coming up later this year for a national audience, so... It's out there and it's doing its thing and this is probably the best known piece that
0: I've written. So
1: this is Baba Yetu.
0: By Christopher Tin. Oh, <laughs> Christopher Tin brought us his perhaps best known song, Baba Yetu. It features the Soweto Gospel Choir, and it's on his recording, Calling All Dawns, which is his first release back in 2009. One thing I'm curious about Christopher. You've got this love of music, and I imagine musical formation, even though I know that there's differences, the scales and such that are used in Asian countries and elsewhere in the world, the lyrics are big. It is choral music, right? The lyrics are different. How do you compose the lyrics, or do you just use like a Google Translate or something? How do you get those words?
1: Well, in the case of Baba Yetu, the reason I chose those words was actually the singing group that I was planning on using already knew those words. I should mention that singing group in the original recording, not the one you just heard, was my old Stanford a cappella group, Talisman a cappella. But this recording that you just heard was re-recorded for my 2009 release, Calling All Dawns, and this was actually done with the Soweto Gospel Choir down in Johannesburg which is an amazing gospel choir, and they've won multiple Grammys and have collaborated with everyone from the Rolling Stones to U2 to Peter Gabriel. They're out there and doing their thing. Regarding the use of foreign languages, or, sorry, not foreign, but languages that I do not speak natively, I have a vast network of people who speak these languages natively who help me understand the emphases and, and the, the way that the, the languages scan and, and you know what words you can hold notes on what words you can emphasize, and what words you can't. And so I do rely on a lot of linguistic help.
0: You mentioned that Baba Yetu, it was the theme song of the award-winning video game Civilization 4, And there's something called the Game Audio Network Guild, which you got an award for for this. So I guess it's been too long since I've been out of video games. I I used to like a lot of them. But is it different composing with that in mind than composing as you do so many of your other songs?
1: Well, when you're composing for something like video games, the biggest difference is that you're essentially a vendor for a client. I mean, you know, the game company has their own agenda. They need a piece of music for their game, and you have to write something to satisfy their creative needs now, that said, I sort of inhabit an unusual position in that i 'm not really like a video game composer like I, I do write a few pieces for games now and then, but it 's not my main gig, so to speak. so I tend to be viewed i think in the industry and certainly amongst you know the, the particular game company that i 've worked with. As the guy who you bring in to write the theme song, and then other people write the background music and so forth, but I'm the guy who comes in, comes up with a big song that you hear in the menu screen, and then other people do the rest of it. And that's kind of a nice privileged place to be because... As a musician, you want your music to reach the maximum audience possible. And I can say that there's no better medium for doing that than video games, in that, sure, you can write a song for the opening credits of a movie, and people will watch that movie once and they'll hear your song, and maybe they'll buy it on iTunes afterwards or so forth. But when people play a video game, if your music is in the opening menu screen of the game, every time they boot up that game, and we know people (laughs) boot up games quite a bit, Yep. (laughs) Every time that happens, they hear your music, right? And nothing breeds love for music like familiarity. The more you hear something, the more your body is accustomed to it and your ears are accustomed to it, and then you like it more. And so having a song placed in the opening menu screen of a video game that's going to sell millions of copies is a very prominent placement. But what's even better than that is because it's a song that just plays on a menu screen, I'm not beholden to any of the action on screen. It can just be a piece that stands on its own as a piece, and it doesn't have to you know, hit any climaxes or move out of the way for dialogue. It can just be a song. So I'm very grateful that I've had these opportunities.
0: And the world is grateful that you were available to make this music. Civilization is much better for it. Both the game and the reality, the the thing we live in, uh, (laughs) are, are more fortunate for it. Let's go to another song right away, Christopher.
1: I'd love to. So while we're talking about Civilization,
0: the first song you heard, as I mentioned before,
1: Baba Yetu, was written for Civilization IV. That became very popular and it actually won a Grammy. Then, years later, I got invited back to write a new song for Civilization VI, and that song is called Sogno di Volare. It's sung in Italian, and it's actually a setting of Leonardo da Vinci's writings on flight, and I set them in a very sort of grand classical context, and it's sung in Italian, and you can hear it now. Sogno di Volare from Civilization VI.
0: The Dream of Flight. com is a good place to track down all things about Christopher and his fine composing and choral music and the creativity that he, I feel like it it has a special note. Your albums have themes, Christopher, in a way that a lot of music doesn't. It seems to me that there's something you're trying to lead the world to by your compositions, by putting them together in the way that you do. Am I overstating the matter?
1: Well, I wouldn't say that you're overstating it, but I'm almost a little embarrassed to think about it that way in that, you know, one never thinks that they have much of a megaphone when it comes to their creative output, right? You sort of secretly hope that yes, your music is going to make a difference in the world and that people will listen and it might change a few lives here and there. Of course, you hope that. But to aim for that and to come out publicly saying that, yes, I want to try to change the world with my music is another thing entirely. But you are right. There are themes in my music and they're there intentionally. And it's not blatant. I don't necessarily believe in making art that is blatant with a message. I would rather create something that stands up on its own as pure entertainment but also has layers and layers of meaning for those who want to go a little deeper. In a way, it's like trying to have your your cake and eat it too, right? I mean, you're trying to make something that's mass market or at least consumable by the mass market and yet have an artistic integrity to it and sort of a spiritual integrity, I guess. But that's kind of the motivator for why I try to structure my albums the way that I do. I want them to sound good. I want them to excite people when they hear them, whether or not they know what's being sung. But then I want there to be enough depth in the composition of it, such that people who are looking for a deeper meaning can find it. And those orchestras interested in programming music will have some, you know, more elements of serious art that they can latch onto in the programming. You know, I think layers of meaning are a wonderful thing. Layers of metaphor and construction and architecture. Uh, There's all wonderful things that are sort of lost in record making in this day and age. Like, I don't ever believe, I've never believed that an album should just be a collection of random songs. Like, I grew up in an era of, well, I didn't grow up in this area. But, you know, when I was in high school, all I listened to were, like, Pink Floyd and, you know, concept albums like Tommy or Quadrophenia or or *Sgt. Peppers and, and stuff like that, right? I mean, I was obsessed with that sort of thing music that had a structure to it and a a binding concept that tied it all together. And so when it came time for me to make my own albums, it was only natural that I sort of sought to make concept albums the same way that my rock heroes of the 70s did.
0: And we're going to get into more of that detail very shortly with Christopher Tin. But first, I want to remind everybody, you're listening to Song of the Soul. This is a Northern Spirit Radio production. Northernspiritradio.org is where you'll find all of our programs the last almost 13 years. You'll find links to our guests, Tin.com. shouldn't be too hard to spell but if you have a doubt come by nordenspirit dot org there's also a place to post comments two-way communication it's the thing please do it when you visit and also click on our donate button which is how this full-time work is supported it's not by corporations it's not by government it's because you the listener want to help support it Click Donate when you come. Even more so, support your local community radio stations. They're all across the United States, and there's some 33 stations carrying our programs. Please remember to support them first. Christopher Tin is here composing wonderful music and specifically choral music that covers the world, which I find astounding. The last one we listened to was Sogno di Volare. It was actually for the computer game Civilization VI, And before that, we heard Baba Yetu, which is our father, and both of those have a religious spiritual element to them. And I'm wondering if you're sending in messages under the radar in those, Sonio de Valare ends with Gloria, Gloria, in Italian, actually, and Baba Yetu is actually our father who art in heaven. Did you arbitrarily pick those messages or those parts of those messages, or is that part of your native vocabulary?
1: There wasn't necessarily a religious motivating force that made me choose these particular texts. Mostly, it's just kind of a mundane answer in that those were the texts that happened to fit well with that particular creative brief and satisfied some logistical requirements. Like, I just needed a Swahili text for Civilization IV's Baba Yatu, and that just happens to be a common one. In the case of Sonia de Volare, I was trying to be a little clever with the people who have played this video game before, because one of the things that you'll hear in the game is when you discover flight in Civilization, you read a Da Vinci quote. I took that Da Vinci quote, and I just made it the lyrics to this song. So, you know, it, it was just kind of a clever thing that you do to make the song resonate even further with the gaming audience. A lot of my music is secular, and a lot of it is religious or it's spiritual, but I try to get pretty fair representation of all beliefs and, uh, I guess, you know all secular beliefs as well. I'm not necessarily emphasizing one thing over the other. That's not a race that I have a horse in, so to speak. I'm just trying to largely make music that has a connective quality between peoples of different religions and different ethnicities and, and cultural backgrounds. I think the overriding theme is really one more of tolerance and understanding for one another rather than it is to espouse any one particular ideology.
0: I do love the varieties of stuff. I actually have connection to some music from France, which is not your traditional music in the U.S., at least, you know, the kinds of Christmas carols that they're used to. And one of the, the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, they have their Christmas album. Wow. Some wonderful things on that one, too.
1: Cool. Yeah, I don't know what. I'll have to give it a listen.
0: Oh, you should. But in the meantime, our listeners want to hear some more of your music. What's next?
1: Well, let's see here. Why don't we play for your listeners the song Temen Oblak. Now, this is actually a piece that I wrote for Mr. Voix Bulgar, whom I imagine you know. They're this Bulgarian women's choir that was very popular in the 80s. And they have an otherworldly sound when they sing. And they have... You know, characteristics of, of Bulgarian vocal music are very tight harmonies and and very tricky rhythmic time signatures. And this piece was a real joy to write and listen to them perform. So this is my piece, Temen Oblak, from my second album, The Drop That Contained the Sea.
0: And his name is Christopher Tin, Temen Oblak. <laughs> Amazing song by Christopher Tin. Dark Clouds is how we'd say it in English, Temino Block in Bulgarian, I believe. It's featuring the Le Mystère des Voiles Bulgaires, and it's on Christopher's recording, The Drop That Contained the Sea. Now, one thing I didn't tell you even before we got on the air, Christopher, is that one of my big passions is international folk dance. So dancing to Bulgarian, Romanian, Serbian music, and I mean, it's just what I do, you know. And so the shout singing, as they call it in Bulgaria, and the the way that they raise their voices kind of incredibly loud, women do, is an unusual thing. Do you have to train your chorale to sing Bulgarianly?
1: Uh, yeah, I would ha- have to if I weren't using this particular choir, yes. And I don't think that's something that I can train. That's a very specialized form of singing that is very counter to the way that singers are traditionally taught to produce sound in the West. I think it's the sort of thing where if you're not careful and you don't learn to do it the proper way, you could actually hurt your vocal cords quite a bit. So I guess that that takes us to another point, which is one of the challenges of putting on my music live. My music does get performed a fair bit, especially for contemporary choral music, but doing it in a stylistically authentic way is near impossible for most groups in that if you were to program, for example, my entire Calling All Dawn cycle, you're going to veer wildly from pieces sung in a sort of a African gospel style to a a Chinese opera style. There's even a Maori haka at the very end of Calling All Dawns, you know, which is probably one of the easier things for Westerners to learn or sorry, North American audiences or singers to learn. But, you know, with a lot of these things, you're you're just not going to be able to nail it authentically. And it sort of raises the question, is it important to nail it authentically? I don't necessarily think so. I don't think my own music is reflective of authenticity in world cultures. Uh, I leave that for the people who actually come from these places and practice the music that is authentic to them. I write more crossover, hybrid, you know, whatever you want to call it, music that sort of pulls from these influences. But it's not necessarily representative of that particular culture.
0: Well, let's hear some more of your music. There's not nearly enough time to encapsulate. Your music doesn't really deserve encapsulation because it is so far flung. And I do want to remind folks, of course, that there is more music coming And just recently, there was a Kickstarter campaign for Christopher's upcoming CD to shiver the sky. How soon is that on the horizon, Christopher?
1: I'm hoping to finish it in 2019. I mean, putting together an album, as you can imagine, of this magnitude and complexity takes a long time. But my goal is fall of 2019.
0: What you're saying is that you're hoping that it'll come out right about the time that your child that's going to be arriving in a few days will be toilet trained.
1: Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, I don't quite know the timetable for our kid and her, you know, toilet training yet, but let's let's hope that that's out of the way very soon. (laughs)
0: Well, do share another song. What's next?
1: Okay, so I mentioned the Maori haka at the end of Calling All Dons. That is a song called Kihohora Te Marino, and it is sung in Maori. And for this particular piece, I actually reached out to some Maori community members in London and talked to them and attended one of their community gatherings and got to know one of their young musicians, and he helped me write this piece. He still performs it with me uh, whenever I do music festivals or concerts at lincoln center or carnegie hall he comes and he he performs the, the haka and the facodero but this is a piece that uses a haka in the middle which is sort of a ceremonial recitation slash dance that is probably best known to sports fans as the ceremony that the new zealand all blacks perform prior to their rugby matches It's a very thrilling thrilling thing to see live And I wanted to put that on a record. But before doing so, I really wanted to make sure that this is something that people would be okay with me doing, which is why I reached out to this Maori community group. The Maori in particular are very sensitive to cultural appropriation because, as you know, a lot of people get random Maori jewelry and Maori tattoos without any knowledge of what they actually mean. So it was very important to me to actually talk to some people, get to know the community, get a sense of what would ruffle feathers and avoid that, and and just get sign-off, basically, from some people. So it was as much a musical journey as it was sort of like a a cultural understanding journey for me. This song, again, is Te Marino, and it is from my album Calling All Dawns, and I hope you enjoy it.
0: Pia Te Marino is the song. It's by Christopher Tin, and it's in Maori. And I don't know how many of you speak Maori. I'm guessing that not a lot of my listeners do. I did look up the translation. I have been to New Zealand and actually seen Hakka performed firsthand but this one is translate in the version that I have, or at least part of it. It starts out, May peace be widespread, may the seek listen like greenstone, and may the shimmer of light guide you. May peace be widespread, be widespread, now and forevermore. And there's more to it, but you can find that also if you go via Christopher Tin's website, christophertin.com. And a, a beautiful song again. And I particularly like, I mean, it's very evocative for me, the Hakka part. If... People have seen Maori men doing this, uh, painted face, tongue sticking out, very forceful. I mean, it's a warriors' type dance, and so I was all the more captivated by the idea that Peace Be Widespread was embedded in that song. Where do the words come from? Where does the storyline come from?
1: It's a traditional Maori blessing, actually. I mean, it's, it's a pretty common saying. And, boy, I can't remember off the top of my head the origin of it. Uh, it's one of these things, again, where it's been part of the fabric of that culture for so long that the origin of it is sometimes disputed. So, uh, you know, again, I don't have the cultural authority to make those comments necessarily on, you know, with any authority really on, on where this, this text comes from. But it is widely used, widely known. You'll run into it, I think, if you go to New Zealand um, in a gift shop somewhere. You'll probably (laughs) see it printed on some tchotchke or something.
0: And I'm curious for you, Christopher, what languages you speak. Obviously, English is one. Do you speak other languages?
1: I speak a little bit of French and a little bit of Cantonese, but that's about it. Actually, my own grasp of foreign languages is sort of pitiful compared to my practice of them in my music. But again... I have a lot of collaborators who help me out musically.
0: Would you say that instrumental music is, I'm trying to figure out how this goes. I mean, I've sung songs in different languages that I don't know because I do my international folk dance. Sometimes we just sing along with whatever music is going on. But I'm just wondering what, what language you're singing from in your head as you're putting this choral music together.
1: Well, I mean, the answer to that question is, like, I enjoy the abstraction of the of the human voice without being burdened in my meaning, necessarily. And mean, put it that way, I do like hearing singing, but I don't necessarily need to know in real time what it is that they're singing to enjoy it. And so that's why perhaps I've never really been bothered about writing a piece in a language that I don't speak. I mean, anyone who sets any Latin text in a choral setting – They don't speak Latin, right? I mean, it's the abstraction of of vocal sounds at that point. I'm just doing it with living languages. And the, the, the complication is, when you do it with living languages, obviously, you need to be much more sensitive to what a native speaker would hear when they're listening to your piece. So you have to set things carefully. But... I, for one, have always felt very comfortable listening to music in a foreign language. Anytime I listen to opera, even if it's in English, half the time I don't even understand the words that they're singing, for example, right? But that's totally (laughs) fine with me. I just love the expressiveness of the human
0: voice. Well, let's get one more example of it in before we have to end for Song of the Soul. How do we conclude? One more piece. This is a piece called Devi Pravaha,
1: which means goddess river. And this is also from the drop that contained the sea. Each of the movements on the drop that contained the sea deals with water in a different state. Everything from, you know, drops of water to clouds to hurricanes to ice. I mean, like all the different movements are about water as it relates to a particular culture but in a different form. And they're structured in the way that water flows in the world. So we start with a a drop of water in the ocean, to clouds, to mountain streams, to rivers, flowing back into the ocean. It's a cycle like the water cycle. So this particular movement deals with rivers. And of course, the most holy river in the world is the Ganges in India. And I got to work with a a longtime collaborator of mine, Rupa Mahadevan, who sings traditional Carnatic music. And I wrote the song for her. And it's a nice sort of combination of both written parts and improvised parts, too. I mean, obviously, a lot of Indian music deals with uh, improvisation. And so there's a fair amount of taking what Rupa sort of came up with and arranging around that as well. So this is a piece that I'm actually pretty proud of. And it's probably not one of my better pieces, but I, I do enjoy the way that her voice works with sort of my almost sensual jazz string arrangement. You know, I'm very pleased with how it turned out.
0: There's the part, I don't know, two-thirds of the way through or something like that, where she goes into an extended vocal, nonverbal improvisation, or is this actually chorale music that you've written that she's bouncing around on those notes?
1: No, she largely improvised that, but I did give her the structure for it. So I laid out the structure of the arrangement, and she improvised around it, and then I actually readapted my arrangement to, to match her improvisation somewhat.
0: All of that leads us up to the final song for Christopher Tin's "Song of the Soul," Devi Pravaha is the song, Goddess River in English. His website, christophertin.com. All of his music. If you, you maybe you've heard him. If you've played Civilization, maybe not. But if you haven't before, I hope that today's visit with Christopher Tin convinces you that you want to know more of him. Within a year or so, you'll, you should be able to hear his next release, To Shiver the Sky. But in the meantime, Calling All Dawns and The Drop That Contained the Sea. And the song that we're about to share right now is from The Drop That Contained the Sea. Christopher, I am so glad that I finally got off my duff and got a hold of you to have you share for Song of the Soul. It's beautiful music. I love the creativity. And I love particularly the thread that you're running through the world to bring us closer to see and know one another thank you so much for doing that and for joining me today for song of the soul thanks for having me mark devi pravaha goddess river by christopher tin we'll see you next week for song of the soul